Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. We are hopefully live. <laughs> I was just going to say Tuesday, May 29th edition of the Holy Smokes podcast. Yours truly, Joe Ferraro, as always, joined by my co-host, managing editor for Fightful Online. This guy rarely takes a day off. He'll explain more. He actually did have a day off. If you follow him on I Instagram, I don't even know if it was a day off, maybe some a few hours off. But if you follow him on Instagram, at Sean Rossap, yours truly, at Showdown Joe, you'll see more about Sean's crazy life uh, and how he lives and how he works nonstop. Uh, so much to discuss on today's podcast there's so many things that went down we have tons of guests we're obviously going to preview or recap excuse me ufc liverpool uh that controversy i don't think it was that controversy but the controversy about between darren till and stephen wonderboy thompson of course neil magny emerges victorious uh first round victory uh in liverpool uh great performance if you ask me uh sean wants to discuss the women's bantamweight rankings i don't blame him uh we'll talk Bellator, <laughs> which was I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. MVP, MVP was something else, man. Phil Davis finally get not finally, but he gets that finish. Uh, Musasi emerges victorious. I didn't think it was going to happen the way it did, but it happened. He's the champ. Uh, and right away calls out Rory McDonald, says, you know, see if he chickens out or that crybaby. We'll get into that for sure. We'll uh, we'll preview UFC Utica. Uh, of course, pros picks. Come on. Wouldn't it be a Holy Smokes podcast with all of James Lynch's hard work getting those pros picks? And James Lynch has a bunch of stuff for us today on this oh, podcast. Ahmed, Sajari Eubanks. Uh, lots of stuff to discuss. Uh, I think Sean wants to discuss GSP poisoning Nick Diaz again. I, I, I'm a little shocked at that. Nick Diaz got arrested, ladies and gentlemen. Not sure if you guys know. He got arrested. Uh, I think it was domestic battery, Sean? Yes, but there's some questionable stuff yeah, in relation we'll to that. that uh, rumor has it Jimmy Vera, Jimmy Rivera will be joining us on the show, and Michael Bisping has officially called it a career. Not sure if I believe it. I do, but I'm kind of like, nah, Michael, the right money's there. We'll see what happens. But lots and lots to discuss. Sean Ross Sapp, how are you doing, sir? 
I'm doing great. As you mentioned, I did have uh, a little day off the other day. I went to a, a close friend's wedding. It was a blast. It was a good time. Um, looking forward to not... Well, my day off this week is Saturday, but I'm going to be back in the booth for Premier MMA Championships 8. If you are in the Northern Kentucky area, come by Covington. There's a lot of information out there. Go to PremierMMAChampionships.com. You can check that out, or you can uh, check it out on Fight TV. So lots of ways to watch that. I'll be doing uh, lead commentary on that show. So no real day off there. Yesterday was, I tried to create a little bit of time for myself, but man, I got bored on Memorial Day. I got real bored, and I I work every Monday night. But yeah, we got lots to talk about tonight. I'm just going to go ahead and get right into one of the interviews we were on the air last week when Shorty Torres signed with the UFC and was given his debut. Show, or, uh, James Lynch immediately spoke to him and got the lowdown on how all that unfolded. Take a listen. Actually, people found out before I did. I don't know where they're making all these social media posts. And I was like, did I get signs of the UFC? I, I haven't signed any paperwork. And then I get a call from my manager. And it's like, oh, awesome, cool. I'm in the UFC. This is great. And it's it's still suddenly in, you know, it's one of those things that I've worked so hard for. And, um, you know, I'm just happy that, you know, given all the random Facebook friend requests, which is always, weird, but all these people, I've had so much support with all these people posting on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and just, it's, it's overwhelming, literally overwhelming. And, uh, it's, it's an awesome, awesome feeling. Yeah. And where were you when you found out this news? Like you said, you saw it on social media. Are you on your phone? Are you on your computer? Where did you see this? Yeah, you know, I'm always working my social media on my phone, so I'm always looking down all day, every day. And I, I just finished practice, finished sparring, and I came upstairs of the of the idea of fighting Jared Brooks. And then it just came to fruition. I was like, huh, people are sending me texts like, is it true? Is like, what true? And then they'll send me the picture, the screenshot by MMA junkie or Ariel Hawani saying that I got signed. And I'm like, am I signed to the UFC? And then I get the call from Lex McMahon, my manager, saying, dude, welcome to the UFC. This is awesome. So... It you know it was, it was back and forth all that stuff so I'm just happy that everything's finally uh, settled in. So who's the first person you told on your end once you found out? Because you said people were telling you, but did you? Did, who's the first phone call, email, text that you're like, "Hey, I'm in the UFC." Oh man, I don't even know. I had so many people again overwhelming me that I forgot to text people back. I you know got to tell my fiance and my family later on in the day, but I did give them personal phone calls, let them know the the fantastic news, but. It was a, It's crazy because I was getting ready to possibly fight for the 145-pound title fight uh, for Titan FC. Oh, so wow. I was, you were, oh, you were going for another title. Crazy. I was like, you know what, man? Uh, UFC doesn't want me. All these other promotions don't want me. Let me just figure something out. You know? So I go, well, I'm not going to take another fight. I don't want to fight in a sense of bum, just like a no-name. You know? So I go, you know, let me figure it out. Let me fight Jason Suarez. 11-0, UFC veteran, Titan FC you know, featherweight champ. I think it's an amazing fight stylistically. Sadly, he turned down the fight, and I'm like, ah, oh, okay, well, I'm really heavy for no apparent reason now. And then Jared Brooks, you know, his opponent got uh, – Hector Sandoval got injured, which so be it. Hopefully uh, he recovers well. And I was like, oh, so am I getting the fight? And McManard calls and goes, hey, we're the, you're the only flyweight we want. We're not trying to sign any of the flyweight. So it's either you take the fight or we're scratching, you know, Jared Brooks' fight. We're not going to call anybody else. I was like, okay, cool. uh, yeah, I don't care. I mean, it's nine-day notice, and uh, it's a little little later than what I'd like just because of how heavy I was, but so be it. You know, I'm, I'm ready to take the shot. This is my opportunity. So Shorty Torres unveiling a little bit of behind-the-scenes news about 
toward the end, really, of his Titan FC run that because UFC didn't offer him anything initially, he wanted to fight for Titan's featherweight championship, but the featherweight champion didn't want to fight him. Why do you think that is? Now, keep in mind, I, Joe, I has to, Joe has to deal with this featherweight champion in the future, may not ever have to deal with Shorty Torres if he doesn't want to. Yeah, I, I don't know if he didn't want to fight Shorty. Uh, I, I understand the circumstances behind it. I get it. Um, it's a lot of risk because, man, you're, you're fighting a guy technically 20 pounds lighter than you. There could be a restructuring of the contract because you, you're, you're putting it you're, – you're defending your title for the first time against a guy who's a superstar in the, in the uh, promotion – who's a champion at 125, who's now a champion at 135, has the potential to become a champion at 145 based on you. So I'm sure there's a bunch of different things that went around that thing happening. But um, I, I just find it kind of weird that Shorty mentioned a couple of the names that, you know, the screenshot that he's seen on some of the other uh, websites and stuff like that. It just goes to show you that, you know, the amount of stuff that gets leaked out there from within the UFC because or other managers in general. Right. I mean, there's no way Shorty's management and or anyone from Titan and or Shorty or anyone would leak out that information to jeopardize uh, his new signing with the UFC. So it just goes to show you there's still a whole bunch of stuff that goes on behind the scenes for a lot of these sites and, and people to get um 500 fighters stories. in the ufc stuff's gonna leak man that's just yep, yep. that's just the way it goes so <laughs> we'll talk more about that fight later of course uh ufc liverpool took place this weekend fightful alumni elias theodoro won he didn't get the finish that maybe he needed but he, he was much more aggressive in this fight and he pushed the pace a lot more so a good win for Elias. I think he's staying on the fight pass prelims, though. Yeah, if he's not getting those finishes, I can't see them moving him up. I mean, he he was number 15 heading into this fight uh, at 185 pounds. I don't know with a victory over Trevor Smith if that bumps him up anywhere. Um, but yeah, he's he's in the top 15, which is already a testament. Uh, you know, I'm, I might be speaking at a Canadian bias, Sean, but you know, if you can reach anywhere in the UFC rankings as a Canadian fighter, uh, obviously George St. Pierre, Roy McDonald, and those guys aside, but uh, that that's pretty impressive for Elias. Obviously, now he's got to start figuring out how do I get into the top 10. Uh, um, he's, he's, it's at the point now, like, I always think to myself, and you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, okay? Uh, anyone in the live chat, top right of your screen, ladies and gentlemen, correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, it, 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 sometimes when you're you – he, he already publicly stated he gets paid much more from his sponsors than he does uh, yeah. from the UFC. Uh, and a lot of those sponsorships have to do with his quote-unquote pretty face, right? He's a model. He's a spokesman. He's an ambassador for various brands. When that headbutt occurred – there's another gash on his yeah. face. There's another scar that he's going to have to deal with. Do you think it ever goes through his, his head, no pun intended, or his mind that, oh, man, there's another mark on my face. This, this, this could affect me uh, with some of the stuff that I'm, getting, I'm doing outside of the octagon. Meanwhile, you got Trevor Smith coming at you 100 miles an hour. Yeah, I definitely think that comes up to him. But right now he's, he's in the top 15. Keep in mind we're going to talk about Michael Bisping retiring. Those yep. rankings haven't been updated since Elias won, since Bisping retired. Rockhold, sidelined. I don't even know why he's still in the middleweight rankings when we know he's about to take a light heavyweight fight, but that that's neither here nor there. Elias may jump up to number 13, 14, 13 just, based on those, just yeah. this week. Uh, yeah, Trevor Smith is ultimately, he's a 37-year-old guy, but he had won three of his last four, so a decent victory, but he's got to do something 
impressive, and we've said that for a year now, but he keeps winning. That's that's the important part. I also want to talk about these women's bantamweight rankings. I don't want to talk about the landsberg Mazzani fight at all <laughs> because it sucked. Um, there are 16 ranked UFC women's bantamweight fighters. They only have 19 fighters. Yeah. They're the only people who aren't ranked don't have wins. That means that you and I are one win away from being ranked in the women's bantamweight division. Okay. Because I I was like, man, this is a sneaky top 15 fight. Oh, well, Mazzani is now 1-2, and two and she's still going to be ranked in the division. Okay. All right. Um, her one win is against Wu Yanan. More like Hu Yanan, because I don't have a goddamn clue who that is. Oh, man. I'm often talking about shrinking the roster, but in this case, these women's divisions and UFC flyweight, you don't need to shrink those divisions. I'm looking at the women's featherweight rankings as we speak. Um, It says no rankings available for the selection. Yet there's a champion in the division. There's some contenders in the division. It's it's a very strange... In essence, it was created for, for Cyborg. Right? What happens when Cyborg is done? Will the UFC have enough talent to fill at least 15 spots by then? I don't know, Sean. I, I, I doubt it, but I doubt it. Yeah. That was very frustrating to kind of uncover, kind of experience. Uh, do you think Dan Kelly's done? He got finished pretty quick by Tom Breeze. Yeah, I think he's uh, going to call it a career. I think to my understanding he did uh, retire, but at the same time, if you're taking punches like that – and I mean, it, it was it was a uh, it was more of a glancing blow that hit him. It could have scraped his eyelid, or could have scraped his eyeball, right? It could have could have broke the cranium. Who knows? But it was more of a glancing blow. And Dan Kelly's taken far more uh, punches of significance and substance than that in the past. So did he already have one foot out of the octagon before he even stepped in there? Perhaps, but. Um, I mean, that guy there is just, is, he's so, in my opinion, he's so special, man. I think it was last week you said, here's a guy that, that doesn't even have a right knee or a left yeah. knee. Like, it's just, he's got nothing there. Four-time Olympian, uh, always the underdog, per se, in every one of his UFC fights. It continues to prove, you know, not all the time, but prove people wrong. I mean, this guy's got a victory over Rashad Evans. He, he had Come a on. lot of miles on him way before MMA as well. <laughs> Because right? of his of his judo career, that is one that is a sport that that can take it out of you, man. Like at practice, you were landing hard with somebody's body weight all over you. Uh, Dean D in the chat says, "Do a women's open weight division from one twenty five to one forty five. Commissions won't approve that. Won't work. Nope. Nope. nope so, nope. Uh, Amir Khani outlasted Jason Knight. We had uh, Arnold Allen submitting Mads Burnell. Great come from behind victory." Darren Stewart drilled Eric Spicely on his way to a win and a really emotional post-fight speech. We had Jillian Robertson defeating Molly McCann. But uh, I'm really interested in Claudio Silva submitting Nordine Taleb. Nordine Taleb, ill-advised leg lock attempt, gave up position, ended up paying for it. Claudio Silva, his first UFC fight since 2014, had to feel good for him to get back in there and get that win. Well, I think also with Nordin Taleb, it wasn't just the fact that, <clears throat> excuse me, that he went for that leg lock. There was a time when he could have scrambled up to his feet, right during the transition. With the, I think he had his, he had uh, Claudio's left thigh, and during the transition, he would have been able to press down on that thigh, 
perhaps press on the other knee and back out without putting himself into a triangle position. Um, I think that would have been a better situation for Nordin Taleb. Unfortunately, um, it's it's one of those like we look at Kamaru Usman, which I want to talk about for a second when we get to Neil Magny. Um, look at the way Kamaru fought Damian Maya. Right, you don't go to the ground if that's the that's where his specialty is. Right, be smart about it, be cerebral, get out of there if you can, and get the fight to where you have more of an advantage to merge victorious. And I don't think Nordine realized what he was doing. It was so early in the round when all this went down that didn't even make it to the end of the first round before he had to submit. So uh, I think it was just an ill-advised error on his part. We've seen crazier things happen uh, in the octagon. I understand that, but I think in that scramble, Sean, he could have just simply went back to his feet and you see where the fight would have went from there. Neil Magny did what he was supposed to do to Craig White, saw an opportunity for a knee, collapsed Craig White, got a win. Neil Magny wants Kamara Usman. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) Usman should get Darren Teal next. That's who he should get. Very often we have found out that people who should get Kamara Usman don't want Kamara Usman. So I think this is a pretty good... uh, a pretty good consignment, essentially. If you can't make that fight, well, there's Neil Magny wanting Kamara Usman. That doesn't happen very much. Also, I would be very, very excited to see how the range of Magny plays out in that because we don't see him strike a ton. He relies on his wrestling quite a bit, but I don't think he's going to rely on his wrestling against Kamara Usman based on what we saw Damian Maya and how, how quickly he was stifled. The performance by Magny was right. It was the thing that he had to do. I love that he called out Kamara Usman. If there's somebody that nobody else wants, why not do it? Show that you're willing to do it, even if you can't get that fight. Yeah, first thing that came to mind in that fight there with Magny and, and Craig White was the fact that I'm surprised Craig White stayed in the position against the cage with the with the right knee of Magny just waiting to be launched because if you're in a situation uh, in the cage whether you have the underhook or not and you're finding yourself in a position where you're beginning to lean down <clears throat> in the old times before the rule changes Sean you can put your fingers on the ground you ain't getting need now you're still a, a a standing opponent and his face was just there for that knee to be launched at any time I felt like it was there for a little too long uh, and then Neil boom as soon as he landed it. White collapses down on the ground, and then he just goes in there for the finish. So that's one thing. So, But kudos to Craig White for taking the fight on short notice. I mean, the guy fights in Cage Warriors. He's going up for the title, gets the call from the UFC. You, you take that. You take it no matter what, even if it's against Neil Magny, uh, a top opponent in the division. Um, the, the funny thing for me when Neil Magny called out Kamara Usman in his post-fight interview was Kamara Usman has been calling out Neil Magny for years. years. Let's fight. Let's fight. And Neil Magny dismissed him brushed him off, get some wins, blah, 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 blah. Hard to dismiss a guy who's won 10 fights in the UFC and tough. Yeah, so in essence, just no, 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 you're not worthy, you don't have a name. And now that Kamaru is up there above Neil Magny, boom, Neil Magny has the call out, hey, I want to fight Kamaru Usman. This is a a conversation worth having now. Okay, well, I should save it for the ESPN talk, but I won't. The rankings aren't really something UFC wanted to do anyway. I love them. It gives us something to talk about. It gives us a number to put next to a name on cards. Uh, it, you know, If somebody's maybe not interested in the interview we're doing, I can put that number next to their name. And some people will say, okay, maybe this is somebody worth looking at. Maybe they're worth my time as a viewer. And that, that's ultimately what this is about. But Fox wanted them to do this. 
They originally it was top ten, then it was top fifteen. I love that they expanded it. It gives me something to talk about on FightfulSelect.com every single time they update it. Keep your eye out for that this week. FightfulSelect.com UFC rankings breakdown. I wonder if it will be abandoned, if it will be reconstructed. We have this this UFC ESPN deal, which we, we will really expand upon later because there's even more to it. Do they stay around, and or and if they do, do they stay around in their current version? Because, Joe, you were a part of the original panel, right? Yep. And now we have, I think, 13 people on this panel. One yep. of which is a person that I know and read regularly in Andreas Hale. That's it. One person. Now, there are some people from MMA Weekly that are definitely respectable and there are some some outlets that have representatives that aren't necessarily the face of those outlets. David Tease curates ours. I follow Fight Matrix. I think that's usually probably the best one. How do you think the rankings will be affected by this ESPN deal? Keep in mind, this ESPN deal is coming quick. Like I think January, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like WWE where theirs starts in October of next year. There's something happening soon with UFC, like six months away. Yeah, um, I think the rankings will either remain the same or they'll bring or they'll, they'll bring it down to ten, the top ten. Um, I, I, I mean, as a viewer, I think the number next to a fighter gives the fight relevance. We've talked about it at length on this podcast, the importance of making these fight these fights relevant. Now unfortunately the UFC is a business, it is not a sport. Okay? Let's 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 not kid ourselves. It's not mixed martial arts. It showcases mixed martial arts, but it's not a sport. Okay? So rankings per se don't mean anything, because if they actually meant something, seven beating six means seven becomes six. You beat the six guy. Okay, for 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 hypothetical scenarios. Okay, that's what the point is. Now, if you're just tuning into a broadcast, uh, coming back from doing whatever you're doing with your 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 significant other, family, you're just tuning in, and all of a sudden you turn the TV on and you're seeing number four taking on number nine, it means something to you. Okay, you're seeing number ten taking on an unranked fighter. It means something to you. You're not going to pay attention to see what does this really mean. Perhaps you're rooting for the underdog. Perhaps you realize that, hey, you know what? The winner of this fight, especially the underdog, it means something to them. This is a fight that means something. So I do like the fact that they do have the number, the ranking number next to a fighter uh, as well as the color of their shorts. Very important. Uh, I wish other promotions would do that uh, in general. Um, as for the ESPN thing, I think it would be prudent if they did keep it. If they did keep it, but I would say you you you, you bring it down to ten, top ten fighters because it, that that's really what it is in my opinion. Um, in, in most other sports, top ten is what counts, not top fifteen. It's just a weird. I mean, I know you. What are you trying to be different from other sports by having fifteen? No, top ten is fine. Top ten is good enough. So. <sighs> yeah, the, these rankings are going to be very interesting moving forward. Also interesting, Darren Teal, number eight, defeats number one, Wonderboy Thompson. Darren Teal missed weight. And the thing is, Dana White had said multiple times after this that, oh, it's not a problem for him. It's first time. No, it's not the first time. He's missed weight before. So there's that. Uh, It wasn't the dominant performance that many thought Teal could put out there. I didn't think it would be dominant, but I did think that Teal won. 
I scored the fight for Teal. And I, I scored big, it for Wonder Boy. I know that uh, Big John McCarthy doesn't like the scoring, me- the way the fight was scored, and doesn't like octagon control being implemented. Teal had to give up 30% of his purse, had to be at 188 pounds the day of the, the fight. Had an awesome entrance. That's about the, the most positive I'll say about this fight, other than the fifth round knockdown. I did not appreciate this fight. I did not enjoy the technical nature of this fight. I can think of no bigger nightmare of a fight that I would want to watch, not want to watch than Wonderboy Thompson against Leota Machida. Um, I think that any time these two guys fight anybody, they need to bust out the flyweight cage. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. – and, and a lot of this was on Teal. Teal kept looking to cut Wonderboy off. He would back Wonderboy up. You would see you know, the, the black line of the octagon. You're, you're always told that's when you circle out. He would back Wonderboy up against the cage, a thing that many people can't do. And he would wait for Wonder Boy to move so he could throw that hook, but he never connected. Here's the thing. With a Wonder Boy Thompson, you can't wait on him to move. You have to throw the punch and hope that he doesn't dip to the right way. Because if, once he moved, that's it. You've lost your opportunity. He's really, really, really fast. Especially for a guy in his mid-30s. Unbelievable how fast he is for that size. Teal's obsession with gaining the tie plum... I think cost him because he even said it after the fight. He wanted to prove how good his Muay Thai was. Well, that allowed Wonder Boy to hit him, I think, four or five different times. That was literally maybe the gap in significant strikes in some of these rounds was Wonder Boy not allowing his posture to be broken, throwing a counter shot, connecting with Teal, and that was that. There were some rounds when I just I couldn't remember two strikes that, that a Wonder Boy landed. And ultimately, that's why I gave him the fight. I didn't give it to him four rounds to one. I gave it to uh, Teal 48, 47. I gave it to him one, three rounds to two, whatever the hell it was. What did you think of the decision? I scored it for Wonder Boy uh, three rounds to two. I gave rounds one, two, and three uh, to Steven, rounds four and five to Till. Um can I see it going the other way? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Big John saying he doesn't, I don't. Did he did he say that he doesn't like octagon control to be used in this type of scenario? Because you have to. Yeah, he says that it's only implemented when striking and effective grappling negate one another, which I thought they pretty well did. Yeah. The, if there, so there was no effective grappling. That, that gets moved out of the equation. In terms of the striking, you do have to take a look at who won the striking exchanges overall, and you can break it down minute by minute or exchange by exchange. Um, the most very basic um, scenario that, that, that we can discuss over and over again, and it's, it's, this is the conversation that I had with John um, you know, during the two courses that I took with him, and the other referees that were there, many and, and judges, many of which are with the major commissions right now, refing and judging, and because uh, a lot of us took both courses. And the discussion was, was, if you boil it down to the very basics, you know, you know, Sean Ross Sapp and I have talked about it a million times. Who's doing what to finish the fight? Who did what in that round to finish the fight? That's I don't think Wonder Boy had right? any interest in finishing yeah. that fight from minute one to twenty-five. And I hear this robbery talk. And I immediately no, say that robbery. is a load of shit. When no, there was there was no robbery. When the person who was robbed, quote unquote, lands less than sixty strikes and a fight has been contested for twenty five minutes on the feet, nobody got robbed except for the viewer. 
That's it. Nobody. So going back to my um, to my point there about octagon control, uh, you need it when the round starts looking like it's a 10-10. That's what separates. You don't want 10-10s. Okay, yeah. you never, you're rarely going to see a 10-10. What you want are 10-8s. That's what you're looking for. Uh, the medium ground is the 10-9. So when you have to get down to octagon control, that becomes a 10-9 round. And if you want to give octagon control to a fighter, especially in this fight here, you're going to give it to Darren Till for the most part. Now, as a judge, you need to know who you're judging. If you're assigned a fight, uh, even before you're assigned the fight, Sean, leading up to the card, if you're working that card, you've already received notice that we need you here on this date. You better be aware of who you are going to be judging. And if it's the whole card, you better understand who you're fighting or who you're judging. And in judging Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, you need to know that he's a counter fighter predominantly and he will only go for the finish if it presents itself. In the meantime, he's going to counter fight, use, the, use his opponent's momentum uh, strategy, use feints, use games use sort of anything to draw his opponent in, fight very cerebrally in the stand-up, and do what he needs to do to win each exchange. Unless he rocks his opponent the way Till rocked him, if he can rock his opponent, he he won't switch gears. He'll just keep doing what he's doing because he has 25 minutes to do it. Unfortunately, sometimes, even within 25 minutes, uh, even Wonderboy Thompson can't put on that finish because he's fighting elite fighters. He's fighting an elite guy. In my opinion, he won three rounds, lost two. Overall, if we were judging it by Japanese rules, you could make the argument that Darren Till won this fight. But am I saying there's a robbery? No, there's no robbery. You know, a robbery is if he won, you know, every single round and then loses the decision. That's a robbery, right? If he drops Till five times, one in each round, and then loses each round, that's a robbery. This is not a robbery. It's a very close fight. Could have went either way. I personally look at your scorecard, Sean, and think, yeah, I could see that. I could see why you would do that. It makes sense. So in my opinion, uh, even though I think Wonderboy won, fine. Till got the decision. It was his night. We move forward. There was more action in that fight than the post-fight speech from Darren Teal because I didn't get to hear a damn word he said. The I whole was going, thing got muted. I was going to ask you if you guys down south of the border got anything out of it because I was like, is this my PVR? That's doing this? Is this my TV? What's going on here? It's so bad. Like, FX is a sister station to Fox Sports 1. I see prison rape, the word shit, school shootings on FX over the last several years. I can't hear some bad words in in a really thick accent. Get out of here. Man, that pissed me off. That was just really, really frustrating. So annoying. Uh, what isn't annoying is James Lynch talking to Sajara Eubanks. She fights this weekend at Utica. Take a listen. Now, has the UFC told you anything about the you know the the ramifications of this fight? Because I you know you were so close to winning the title, you had the fight in the in the finals. Um, I imagine you're not that far off from a title shot, even with missing weight. Um, I would hope so. I, I I don't I don't think that there's there's too much that they can say. I beat Lauren. I think that puts me right up there. Obviously, you know, in 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 the media and what you read and and from what I've heard, they're trying to match up Nico and Valentina. Um, so you know, if that happens, that happens. You know, my time, my time. Um, it it'll come. My time will come for my title shot again. I think beating Lauren definitely keeps me in the heat and, and right up at the top. Um, I hope that I can get the winner of Valentina Nico if that matchup comes through 
Um, but if not, I'm going to just keep fighting, keep finishing girls until I get my shot back, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the negative comments and things like that. How have you been able to deal with uh, some of the feedback on social media, especially when you missed weight? Like, uh, it's MMA fans can be can be jerks. I mean, let's be honest here sometimes. Yeah, they're trolls. We live in a society of trolls, man. Um, trolls are trolls. I get trolled all the time. Uh, honestly, I had never been on the on the that bad end of, of trolling. Like, I was, I was literally in the hospital bed, and after I made my post, I was like, hey! <laughs> I was like, hey, everybody. But it's kind of that's kind of part of the game you know like I kind of knew coming into as as the UFC grew when I first started fighting you know the the highest you could do as a woman in, in sports was a strike force belt which is which was respectable you know and as the sport grows and considering the the, the kind of society we're in people get behind their phones or behind the keyboards and they just kind of say whatever and it's crazy um so I kind of at first it was like whoa I never had I never had that but it didn't it didn't bother me too much people will talk and and really, you know, people say it all the time, whether they talk good or they talk bad. If they're talking about you, they're talking about you. So I've been trying to take that into consideration. And I'm surrounded by guys that have experience. You know, I'm on the same floor with, with Frankie Edgar, uh, Edson Barbosa, Eddie Alvarez. Eddie told us in the house, man, he was like, when I fought Connor, you should have seen the crap that these people, that they, these people will say some nasty stuff to you. And, and if you're going to survive in this game, you got to learn how to have tough skin and, and ignore that kind of stuff. So I think it comes with confidence. If you believe in yourself, you know you're a good person, don't matter what nobody say. So trolls are trolls. We also had Bellator 200 Friday night. Kate Jackson defeated Anastasia Yankova. I, I said on the post show, by the way, you all can check that out. I did a post show podcast on Bellator 200 and UFC Liverpool. I will be doing one this Friday night for UFC Utica. But I said, you can't accuse Bellator of giving Anastasia Yankova a favorable matchup because I didn't think she had a chance of beating Kate Jackson. I thought Kate Jackson was far too experienced. She had faced much better competition. So you can throw that one right out the window. Anastasia Yankova, I didn't think, had much of a chance to win this. No, I mean, I, look at the performance, right? I mean, yeah. even leading up to that, you know it. I'm surprised you didn't want to segue out of what uh, Eubanks was saying about the internet and the trolls and, and everything and what Eddie Alvarez told <laughs> uh, the best the, the best version I've ever heard is, and I, and I thank you uh, profusely for it, is you know driving me over to watch, um, uh, what was his name? Oh, my God, John Danaher. And John Danaher and Joe Rogan and yes. John Danaher's description of the internet and his his melodic, very monotone, the internet is an angry place. And I'm like, you're damn right it is because it's just out of control with some of these people. But uh, yeah, it, 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 anyways, uh, I had some guy rip me today for a mortgage uh, tweet. I was like, dude, shut up. Anyways. Oh, I get that uh, all the time. Like, like get over yourself. I, I, the best is when people, one person will say, stick to MMA. Or okay. stick to wrestling. Okay. And then, uh, like, I'll tweet about baseball or something. I'll stick to wrestling and MMA. And I'm like, you know, I covered baseball before any of that stuff. Right? I covered a variety of sports. <laughs> like, you can't, it's, it's very hard to cover just one sport in today's media landscape. God forbid you have knowledge outside of, of whatever. Anything or of anything. Or anything. Of anything, right? Like it's it's baffling when I meet. Um, you know, if 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 you're noticing me looking me down, looking down at the phone, uh, I've got the parents of some of my uh, rep players tonight. Some of them, one of them just has got sent home from school. He's not doing well. But when they hear me talk soccer, especially the the fathers, Sean, because they know me as the UFC guy, yes. and when they hear me talk soccer and strategy and psychology, they're just kind of like, 
holy smokes, how do you know this stuff? And I'm like, I've been doing soccer my whole life. I played at a high level. I understand this and I love coaching. And then I talk to the moms and we're talking mortgages and they're like, how do you know this stuff? I'm, I'm a mortgage broker. Right? They're like, oh my God. And they're like, what are you the UFC guy? I said, God forbid you have knowledge on anything other than what people on the internet think you know. It's just, it's insane. But, but yeah, I hear you. Sorry, go ahead. It's frustrating. Like people think that my Twitter account is supposed to be nothing but a <laughs> the wrestling and MMA deal. Like I can put whatever I want on there. But yeah. also on that show, Phil Jackson KO'd Linton Vassell in round three. Man, sometimes I forget how big Linton Vassell is. Because Phil Davis is a huge light heavyweight and Vassell lumbered over him. Yeah, funny story about about Phil Davis. Um have you have, so you've been around professional athletes for a long time, and sometimes you get these relationships with them where you know it, there's a lot of witty guys in the UFC. A lot of fighters have some really good wit. Where within five minutes, you're just like, I ain't talking to this dude. He talks, I keep my mouth shut because he's way too funny, or he's way he's got these one-liners. Phil and I, uh, and it was Phil Davis, um, uh, oh my God, uh, Uriah Hall. And one other guy, as well as the UFC PR staff and a bunch of other people in the media, were at a Dallas Stars game. They got a suite. We all went up there and we're just shooting the breeze. And Phil and I started going back and forth. And he was taking shots at me because I like my jujitsu. He likes his wrestling and blah, blah. And something had come around. And we're talking about leg kicks. And I said, Do you really think I'm worried about any of your leg kicks? Because he's a wrestler. Uh, yeah. And he just looked at me and he just he put the drink down and he left the room, came back, <laughs> high five. And then when I saw this head kick KO, I was like, that's it, Phil. That's it. You're, that, that's what I want to see. Now I'm officially afraid of you in a suite at the Dallas Stars. Forget it. I'm, yes. not, I'm not anything with you. So I'm very happy that he was able to get this type of victory. Uh, and his, yes, his leg kicking game is, has come a long way. And he'd, if he ever dared to kick me in the legs, I'd be hospitalized texting Sean Ross Sapp saying, Sean, come and get me. But to do it against Linton Vassell is pretty impressive because you better kick pretty high to get Linton. And that, and that was just, it was, well, it, it, the way it ended was fantastic, but yeah. good for him uh, in general. Losing Phil Davis and Ryan Bader looks worse and worse for the UFC as time goes on especially when they finish people. MVP absolutely jobbed out David Rickles. Crazy. Crazy. I thought that David Rickles was honestly a bigger challenge as far as a well-rounded fighter for MVP than uh, Paul Bailey was. Not a better striker, but as far as a complete MMA game, I'm ranking David Rickles well above a Paul Daly, especially this day and age. This is your vintage MVP fight, and... He got peppered throughout the first round. MVP danced and jumped rope and everything. And then in the second round, Rickles is caught over the left eye with a punch. And he just turns to the ref and he says, I'm out. I'm not going to be able to hit this guy. I'm done. He wasn't dazed. He wasn't knocked out. He wasn't down in the fetal position. He stood there. He looked at the ref. He said, no moss. That takes a special type of talent to be able to do that to a David Rickles. That was unbelievable. It's, you know, we were talking about Wonderboy Thompson, right? Like, how, how, I know they're in completely different weight classes. Um, oh, no, they're not. Excuse me. They're in the same weight class. My bad. Uh, Rickles, uh, Rickles fights at lightweight a lot more often. Well, Paige. I'm talking about MVP. Okay, yeah. Right? MVP and Wonderboy. Would that be an absolutely fantastic fight or a boar fest? 
Oh, got to be a boar fest. I don't you trust. Think so? uh, I don't trust Wonder Boy anymore to have exciting fights. Like at this point, I'm not paying to watch a Wonder Boy Thompson fight. Like he's in Rashad Evans territory with me. He's in Leota Machida territory. With that me. bad. They have the possi- They have a lot of talent oh. and the ability to to stun and shock the world and put on great performances, but rarely does it happen. I, you know what? It, it, this is starting to make me think of a few things right now. I can watch a Wonder Boy fight all day long, so it becomes a personal preference thing. It's like someone that says, uh, I can't watch these grappling invitationals, these grappling events. They're so boring. Meanwhile, I can because it's so technical. It's so high-tech that you know you don't even know what's happening in some of these scrambles, right? Like whether it's the Eddie Bravo Invitational or just in general, the Abu Dhabis, anything, right? People get bored if you're not in love with the sport. I guess it's the same with striking at a high, high level with what he does. Uh, people are like, that's boring. I don't like it. And I can see why. It makes sense because bottom line is you have 15 minutes or 25 minutes to put on a show and finish somebody. If you don't do it and you don't do it consistently, you start losing fans. Yeah. That's how it goes. So uh, Gegard Musashi just – dominated Rafael Carvalho, that was much... I thought Carvalho stood a pretty decent chance. He didn't. Musashi is truly one of the most well-rounded fighters and at least sticking to his strengths and one of the most versatile, at least when you're talking about weight divisions. There's not a lot to break down in this fight. Musashi took down Carvalho and dominated. What there is to break down is Rory McDonald stepping up and saying, I want to fight him. And Musashi saying, I want to fight him. Bellator needs to do it. Bellator likes to do the thing, oh, we'll build this, and then we'll do this, and then we'll, then the pieces will come together, and they almost never do. Do it now. Musashi, McDonald, that is a main event. That is a real, honest-to-God, MMA, super fight main event. That is an awesome fight. Right now, Gegard Musashi is a top-five UFC middleweight or light heavyweight. Maybe top five UFC heavyweight if he so chose to be, <laughs> if he wanted to be. Yeah, I can see that. McDonald is definitely a top five UFC welterweight. Middleweight, that you know, kind of remains to be seen, but that is a fight I want to see, and uh, hats off to them for being willing. They've made it, and now if, if Bellator books anything else, that's on Bellator. True, very true. I just, I mean, the, the, the way that there was the one mount that Gergard got, which was just yeah. so beautiful. The way he just, he literally Sean slithered into the mount. Like it was so, it was one of the first guard passes that I learned. I learned from a high level purple belt. I think it was maybe in my fourth or fifth class. And it was one of those, have you ever done a move in training where you, or have you ever seen a move in training that looks so awesome that you thought to yourself, I can do that? You're allowed to do that? And it was literally, Passing your, your your knee through the guy's guard, like breaking his guard by driving your knee. You know, I, I don't want to I want to careful be careful which terms I use, but driving it up the middle until the legs start loosening up, and then start driving down while pushing down the other side, protecting your neck. And the way Gigard did it was just like, man, that was beautiful. Slither, slither, slither gets in there, and I thought for sure Carvalho would have been like, that's not happening here, son. We're gonna move this around here. I'm gonna hip escape there, but he's against the cage. So, uh, yeah, but I. I do yeah you know what in terms of this fight with Rory McDonald and Musashi right now it's it's huge man and it it's got to be for the one it's it's going to be for the 185 pound title nothing to lose for Rory McDonald 
Okay, it's everything to lose for Gegard Mousasi, but Bellator has a situation where they they're going to win because no matter what, if Gegard wins, fine, your 185 pound champion defended the title. You had a very big show, a successful show that people want to tune in and watch. Okay, your your 170 champion goes back down to quote unquote where he belongs, where he can now defend his title versus guys in his weight class. But if Rory wins, you now have a two divisional champ like you had in the UFC with Conor McGregor. So you have a, a very good scenario for Bellator to take advantage of here. So I do echo your sentiments that if they don't do it, it's on them. I also put together, if I'm Bellator, in on that same show, I put together Michael Page against either Paul Daly, Lorenz Larkin, or Andre Koreshkov. Preferably Larkin or Koreshkov. You want him to fight a striker, bottom line. Have him fight a striker. If he faces John Fitch... Ain't nothing positive going to happen out of that. If he faces Ed Ruth, he might get laid on. Mm. I don't know. I don't yeah. know his aptitude for the ground game, but I definitely put him in a highlight position there. And then if he wins, then you put him against Rory McDonald. Well, I think before that, he's got to get past uh, Lima. He's got to get past Lima. Yeah, but yet. I mean, Lima, when's Lima's next fight? Is he scheduled? Is he... What's he doing right now? I think it was his knee that got messed up in that Rory fight that still hasn't healed up yet. But that's a guy that he, he right. You need to get past him to get anywhere near Rory McDonald, in my opinion. Someone's got to beat him. That, that's a fair. That's a fair assessment. I mean, and he split the fights with Koreshkov, so I I could see that. Uh, I just think that MVP is the priority right now. Douglas Lima, I think he's thirty. He's younger than MVP. He'll be around. So we'll see how that ends up. You guys are about to hear from one Bilal Muhammad who fights on this weekend's Utica show. Take a listen. We talked about the weight cut, uh, obviously, with uh, Ramadan and all that. Do you have to alter things a little bit, or is it just business as usual? No, it's just business as usual. Like, I'm not one of those guys that cuts a lot of weight anyway, so it's a good thing. And I'll stay around probably like 185, 187 the whole time. And then uh, during Ramadan, I just make sure I – Get the right uh, liquids in me. Make sure I'm having my uh, Pedialyte. Just get uh, recovering after every practice at night, so the next day I can still push myself hard. But uh, like I said, every every year it gets easier just because I start writing stuff that works. What doesn't work? So then uh, now I'm starting. I feel like my diet's at its uh, peak right now. How do you see this fight playing out on June first? Man, honestly, I feel like going in there and uh, I think I'm gonna get a finish in this fight. I want to go in there and uh, make a statement and uh, push myself to get to a ranked opponent next. Uh, and uh, showing that the, these guys, that, the 170 is that they got another contender in, uh, on its way. Where do you feel like a win over Nico Price puts you in the division? Because, uh, again, you've been on a bit of a roll lately as far as some of the wins and some of the performances in general that you've had. Uh, man, I'm hoping to get a, a ranked guy next. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be fighting for a ranked guy, hopefully, and uh, by the end of uh, this year, hopefully being in the top 10. Is Colby Covington who you want next, regardless win or loss? Yeah, yeah, I'm Kobe coming to the top of my uh, bulletin board. I'm not looking at anybody else but him. So I'm hoping he goes in there, gets gets a loss, and he's gonna have to fight somebody to, to get his way back up. So I'm hoping I'm that guy. I know the answer to this, but I gotta ask anyways. What specifically do you hate about Colby? What what is it? Is it whole, his whole shtick? Is it is it the way he's disrespectful towards uh, you know Brazil? What I want to hear your reason as as to why you don't like him. It's more so that he's that he's it's just fake. Like you can tell it's all a. Uh, it's all a, a, a all for show, and like you can do it in a different way. Like you don't have to disrespect the whole country or come at people and, and the way he comes at people, and like just disrespecting uh, Mike Perry's girlfriend and stuff like that. Like he'll, he'll take it to another level. Like when Conor McGregor does it, like you can tell it's genuine and he's smooth when he does it. Kobe just does it and it's like forced. 
you can tell like he thinks about it, he writes it down, and he's like, oh man, this is gonna be funny, or like he, and then, and then he comes out with it, and it just sounds so stupid, and he sounds so dumb when he says it, and that's just the reason I want to do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Like when he when he acts tough, but he's really not tough in person. It's like there's guys that'll be on like the, he's like the main person of Twitter fingers, man. That's a he's a guy at Twitter fingers 100 percent because like he'll sit there right talk trash about anybody in person on uh, on Twitter. Then you see him in person, he doesn't say a word, doesn't look at them. So it's just if you're gonna do it, be real about it. Connor's Connor's that way. You see Connor in person, Connor's gonna look at you, act tough in person with you no matter what. Kobe's just gonna sit there, be quiet, run to the corner, go to the police, some stupid like that. Of course, you all can see these interviews in full over at FightfulMMA.com. Click that exclusives tab or over at YouTube.com slash Fightful. There's a lot of happenings in MMA this week, even right after the Liverpool show. Uh, Dana White kind of spoke out on several topics, including his run essentially at at boxing, Conor McGregor's future, the future fight, fight pass. He says that he thinks that there will still be fight pass events. He says that uh, that Alexander Gustafson will likely stay on 227 against a new opponent and Rockhold injured his shin. Took shots at Oscar De La Hoya's MMA forays. He wouldn't commit to Magny versus Usman, but said Magny would get an opponent that he wants. <laughs> took a bit of a <laughs> shot at Overeem, who took a shot at CM Punk being on the UFC 225 main card. It says when CM Punk, or when... Uh, Overeem sells more pay-per-views than CM Punk, then he'll have a reason to complain. What do you think of that? I agree. It's, I mean, did Dana, did Dana have to take a rocket science course to, to figure that out? Did, yeah. did, does Alistair have to figure that out? Because that's the, what's called the needle mover, yeah. right? You put people that are going to move the needle. You make more money. They, they make money on pay-per-views. Now they, get, they get paid, obviously, with, uh, with UFC Fight Pass as well, but Anything on the broadcast side, they're just giving it to their broadcast partner. So if you're going to make money, you try and make as much money as you can. It's a business. So I love Wolverine. I watch any of Wolverine's fights. I mean, the guy's crazy, and he's just is who he is, and all the stories, and you know his career has been just solidified with some craziness. But yeah, CM Punk pay per view. That two twenty five prelim show is better than I would argue eighty five percent of the, fi- the 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 cards that I've seen in the last few years. Like it's it's exceptional. Darren Till will probably compete in Las Vegas next, but the UFC will re- return to Liverpool. Uh, he wasn't sure who won the main event. Craig White will be given another opportunity since he, he stepped up on short notice. He didn't offer a deal to Anthony Joshua. Had been in talks with Mikey Garcia of late. 
But the big news, in my estimation, was that Conor McGregor and he were set to have a, a meeting in Liverpool, but instead it got moved to Las Vegas. He's convinced that both Habib and Conor want to fight each other. What do you think? Well, did you see where Adi Attar was? Conor's manager? Where? He was at Bellator. As soon as MVP exited the cage, who's was the first person he hugged. Adi Attar. That's yeah. Conor McGregor's manager. That's who manages uh, MVP, to my understanding. So if you're going to have a meeting with Conor McGregor, you need to have Adi Attar there. Yes. Well, I'm sure that was the plan. I'm sure it was yep. the plan. And I think Ward fought on Bellator, right? Right. So, that's, so that makes yeah. sense why they were there. Uh, the ESPN deal was discussed publicly by Dana White. He said it's the biggest thing that they've ever done, uh, the most monumental thing in the history of this sport and the history of this company. It was revealed last week that after Fox kind of got out and they're, they're in the pro wrestling business, essentially, ESPN did pick up the remaining part of that deal. I think it's a good move. I think ultimately is. And I saw where Dave Meltzer said that the UFC played chicken with the rights deal and lost. I disagree. They're getting more coverage on ESPN. They're getting more money per show than they would on a lot of pay-per-views. Of course, it's not the amount that they thought they could get, but I mean, it didn't. It while we're on the subject of not rocket science, it didn't take a rocket scientist to realize viewership was going down, and the fact that they were able to significantly increase their rights fee deal while their ratings were going down, I think that says only. I think that says a lot about the power of live sports and the business that they are in right now. Going to see about 42 events next year, I, I hear. And that's just basically the ESPN and pay-per-view deal from what I understand. I think they did well. I think they did well. And I think it, it would be good that all of their content is on ESPN, pay-per-view, or ESPN+. Plus, as opposed to some nights it's FS1, FS2, FX, Fox, pay-per-view. Some of it will be on Fight Pass. But you know what I did when that announcement was made, Joe? Tell me. I immediately phoned DirecTV and I got rid of the package that had FS2. <laughs> Hit the bricks. See ya. My yeah. bill got cut in half. Oh, wow. I was that expensive, eh? I was thrilled. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how this is going to unfold here uh, in Canada. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens come January 2019. Um, the the interesting part is... Well, it's there. I, I could break it down in so many different ways, other than the fact that TSN here in Canada is owned a portion, a portion of which is owned by ESPN. Sure. Uh, will that make them pick up the pace in terms of their coverage, or will it just simply be, bah, we'll take uh, whatever ESPN has and just slap it on our channel and, you know, done. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens, but I, I don't know. I, I'm still... Because I don't know ESPN the way you know ESPN, because we don't get it up here. We have TSN, and, and I know that you know the, the content that the network has up here is far less than what ESPN has in terms of options and the amount of channels. I mean, there's five TSN channels up here, but they generally show the same thing for the most part on all five channels. And it's not like you know TSN one is hockey, TSN two is soccer, TSN five is UFC. They, it's often the same content, never really themed, right? In Canada, it's more regional per se. Even Sportsnet, you know, they've got Sportsnet Pacific, Sportsnet Ontario, 
You know, it's Sportsnet One. Sport. It's all a mismatch or mix match, whatever you want to call it, uh, of content. So we'll see what happens come January of 2019. But it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Cub Swanson against Moicano is going to unfold. That fight set. That's a good one. Cub Swanson and Moicano. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. I was Not thinking of uh, the flyweight champ. The women's flyweight champ, Montana. I was like, what? <laughs> what just happened there? No, no, no. That's not yeah, she ain't fighting anybody. Come on. <laughs> yeah, what's going on with that? Like, come on, man. Like, it's, two, it's, on, it's on 227 right now. Uh, Cody Garbrandt against T.D. Dillashaw is on that show. Uh, I will actually be doing my live post show likely the day after because I have a prior engagement, a, a big family engagement that day. But, uh Man, that's that's a pretty solid addition for that show. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Just want to D and D in the live chat said UFC ads on college football shows and broadcasts. Yeah, brother, welcome to uh, four years ago or five yeah. years ago or six years ago. It's already when, happening. Uh, no, no, no. Well, just in terms of what we used to do at Sportsnet, because yeah. the UFC would get, you know, my ugly face would pop up in the middle of a Blue Jays broadcast, a Maple Leafs broadcast, an Edmonton Oilers broadcast, a Toronto FC broadcast, letting people know that A, UFC Central is on, B, the UFC events on coming up this Saturday, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, it basically doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen uh, pretty much at all. Uh, on TSN, but that is huge in terms of um, cross promotion within the network. And ESPN's fantastic at it, uh, as was sports. Uh, sports that's still good at it right now. They got some crazier stuff that they're promoting right now, which is cool. But yeah, this is a little under the radar. But Bellator taking a full month off. Yeah. Until June 29th, they're coming back with Syed Awad against Couture, uh, Randy Couture, or not Randy <laughs> Couture. Damn. Uh, Valerie Letourneau and Christina Williams, Elima Lay McFarland uh, defending against Lara. That is underwhelming for sure. Just underwhelming. Uh, a little bit under the radar also. I didn't even see that Michael McDonald was booked against Dantes in July. In July, yeah, Eduardo Dantes. Good, good for him. I didn't. I thought it was. I thought really, it would be fall, maybe next winter before we saw him back because he hurt his hand again. So uh, that. Fell a little bit under the radar. Jimmy Rivera is not falling under the radar. We spoke to him at Fightful.com. James Lynch about how the fight didn't happen <laughs> with Marla Marias. How it didn't happen with Dominic Cruz. How it didn't happen with John Lineker. This is fascinating stuff to hear how all this unfolded. Let's talk about 219 quickly. Uh, a lot of stuff okay. going into this. So, I mean, you know, you're supposed to fight Dominic Cruz. He's out. I mean, already, you know, whoever you're going to have, it's pretty tough to, to match the level of Dominic Cruz. You get John Lineker. Then John Lineker's out. Marlon Moraes comes in and sort of enters the fray. And, uh, you know, from what I understood on social media, and I want to get clarification for you, he calls you out. He wants to fight you. Then he wants it at a catch weight. And you agree to all these things, and the fight still, still doesn't happen. So what happened? No, that was it. I landed. There was a whole bunch of people who wanted to fight. I was only allowed to fight two people. Uh, it was Dotson, Marlon at 140, they told me, and or Marlon on January 20th. And we weren't going to fight Dotson. He lost his last fight. Marlon beat him. So we'll fight Marlon. So we said we'll fight at 138. They said no, 140. So we said 140. They said no. Then we said 145. They said no. Then we said January 20th. They said no. So after that, we tried to figure out someone else for January 20th. It just fell through. So we just we said, F it, all right, we're going on a honeymoon, and we'll go from there. Because I didn't get, uh, at that time, I didn't get compensated or anything for that fight. So 
Um, yeah, yeah, so they wanted to schedule something and they threw out a contract at me for end of February and had Marlon sign. I said, no, I'm like, I'm not going to fight in February. I'm like, you're, you're setting something in stone with him, but I'm not okay with it. First of all, he came on social media and said he wants to fight. And you guys gave me the options. And I said, yeah. And he said, no. So I'm not going to be like, I'm not, I'm not going to go out of my way. So that's what really happened. How much do you think was played by his manager, Ali Abdelaziz? Just because we've seen in the past that Ali has tweeted for his fighters. It seemed like there was a little bit of him in, in some of those tweets uh, that were going back and forth. It was basically it was basically him. And, you know, I, I know Marlon. He doesn't really trash talk. But, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of his manager, obviously. And at there was an incident at 219 where he disrespected uh, – I don't care if he disrespect me, but he disrespect my wife. That's a whole different story. So um, – he said all this stuff, and then Ali at the press – I mean, Ali, um, Marlon at the press conference was trying to say something or trying to make some point of me trying to pick and choose fights. And I, at the end of the day, I'm like, I don't really get to pick and choose who I want to fight. UFC throws people's names, and then at the end of the day, my coach and my manager pick. I'm like, I'm just the one that goes in there and fights. So I, he started laughing. And he's not – I mean, I started laughing about it, but I started, he started complaining about the fight. I said, you have to fight June 1st. What is there to complain about? What is there to say? I'm like, I just basically shut him down. He's he's not he's not that all that bright. He's not all that bright. He's you know English is his second language. You don't understand him. He's saying stuff even on the face off. He's saying stuff I can't understand him. Um, he's mumbling. Um, I think at the end of the day he's he can't talk smack. He's not the brightest. I think he's a tough fighter, but that's it. One question I had, you know, John Lineker's fighting Brian Kelleher on the Brazil card. Um, was that ever an option to, to get to rebook against Lineker at all? Because I, I figured, like, you know, that that at the time no, seemed not no? an option. No? no, we told him. We told him actually that, uh, you know, we'll wait for Cruz to get better, and then they came back with a new contract, and that's when my manager was, you know, willing to negotiate and get a better deal, and that's why we fought the Lineker fight. Otherwise, we would have waited for Cruz or the next best fight. And that was the funny thing. He brought up something too because I, I just saw something the other night, like at the replay of the of the conference. We had press conference. He was, you know, telling about two pick and choosing fights. And I'm like, if I'm gonna fight someone and say yes to anybody, it's gonna be someone in front of me. So many stories like that go untold in MMA. Right, right now there's a huge, huge market in rest or wrestling podcasting for retro content. Uh, Conrad Thompson has Bruce Pritchard to talk about WWE, WWF. Eric Bischoff to talk about WCW. He'll eventually do an ECW one. I'm telling you, somebody like you needs to do a full-time retrospective podcast with Burt Watson, the guy who was there for every event ever up until a certain point in time about like the backstage happenings, all that good stuff. Because there are, I'm sure there are a lot of things that he saw, overheard, experienced that we don't even, like a lot of us have no idea we'd even happen. Just unbelievable, and that story about how all that unfolded, like I thought was was really good, especially the Ali Abdelaziz thing. Now, before we get into talking about Utica, some more happenings. GSP admitted admitted to poisoning Nick Diaz. Did you see this? Uh, I've heard of it. I heard I heard about it. it I didn't read. Fantastic. I didn't watch the whole thing. He appeared on Rogan's podcast and sarcastically admitted that he poisoned Nick Diaz's IV, had the uh, commission on his payroll, then said that despite all that, the fight was going to continue, so the aliens abducted him and put a gamma ray inside him to give him super strength like the Ulk. 
as he said. I thought that was funny. Nick Diaz, not funny, arrested on uh, domestic abuse charges. Although there are some issues in, in regard regards to this arrest. Now, all this stuff is is alleged, but man, there's there's a lot going into this right now. Middle Easy, I think, has done some really good stuff. Like, and obviously they have a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a, a Nick Diaz bias, but. Apparently, the person who pressed the charges is a little, little infatuated with Nick. Does that surprise you? No, not at all. I, and it's—I I, want to choose my my words very, very, very carefully, only because a, uh, you know, you and I are in the media. Number one, considered yes. media journalists and blah blah. Um, I learned a long time ago, just out of personal experience, and the amount of stories of seeing. Women pressing charges on men, men pressing charges on women, men pressing charges on men, women pressing charges on women. And then the eventual story comes out and the person backs off. I didn't say that. I didn't do that. That was incorrect, blah, blah, blah. So when I see a situation, it doesn't matter what – look at me with John Jones, man. With John Jones, even all that stuff that went down with John Jones. I'm like, well, until I get all the facts, I'm not going to sit here and judge. Until I know what's going on, I'm not going to sit here and judge. Now – uh, do I think Nick Diaz is capable of domestic battery? No. Uh, can he have a bad day and just make a big mistake? We all can, right? But when I hear stuff like this, and having seen some of the people around the Diaz brothers, uh, there is classy peeps, and there's peeps that are like, oh, man, just stay away from that person or that person or that person. And then when these people all interact, you never know what can happen. And that has nothing to do with the Diaz brothers. That could be around people with GSP, right? It could be around people between the the Sat family, the Ferraro family. In general, you just never know. So when I hear this type of stuff, it 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 I immediately pull back and think to myself, okay, what's what are the facts here? You know, what's what's going on here, right? So I mean, I, I could go on and on and on and on and on, but um, for 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 Nick's sake, if he did commit domestic battery. You know, shame on him. If it was the party that pressed charges and it's not true, shame on them. Let's talk about arguably the biggest news of the week. Michael Bisping foregoing a retirement fight, instead opting to retire. He had hinted at this in the past couple of weeks, saying that it would take something really big to get him out and it'd be nice to be out of the USADA pool and et cetera, et cetera. He's hanging it up. What are your your thoughts on the career of Michael Bisping? No chance to become the middleweight champion of the world. Was once balked at, laughed at by Anderson Silva at one point saying, you know, while Anderson Silva was fighting all these other guys, Anderson's calling out Michael Bisping. And Michael Bisping really had no business being in the cage with Anderson Silva long before he actually fought Anderson Silva. Um, Michael Bisping was the consummate, um, almost like, headline maker right he you know one of the original trash talkers or to be able to take trash talk into the next level uh he was a guy that just didn't give a rat's ass about your opinion anyone's opinion he was going to be who he's going to be uh i had the pleasure of being there in person with many of his fights uh, a lot of press conferences uh and a lot of time spent with michael outside uh of ufc and mixed martial arts uh whether it's in las vegas here in toronto 
excuse me, and just talking um, dude to dude, soccer to soccer, DJing to DJing, um, father to father, right? Uh, I got all the time in the world for Michael Bisping. Uh, don't know if I believe him just yet, but the I situation, uh, it goes back a long, long yes, time. And it goes back a long, so long, uh, long before this podcast went on the air, long before Fightful MMA ever wrestling existed. online ever existed, uh, there were many, many times Michael Bisping should have never taken a fight uh, and was was good enough to get past the medical clearance uh, and compete almost with one eye, you know. And the irony of having Jason Perillo as his trainer, who's blind in one eye. Right, so it's not. I guess not really irony. I guess it's kind of cool yeah. because Jason could obviously coach him and say, "Look, man, I had to do it. Here's what needs to get done." So I got a lot of time in the world for Michael Bisping. Although uh, uh, he knows if he watches his podcast, we still have beef that we're going to iron out next time he comes to Toronto, or if I catch him in Vegas, it's going to cost him a lot of money. Uh, he owes me flat out, and I'll get him. Well, I'll get him. Just in general, it's Michael. Yeah. It's Michael. So- I, I, I got a son on my side, so. He's got no shot, so we're good. We're good. Son's a hell of a wrestler, I understand. Yeah, yeah, he is. So looking back at his career, I mean, he had the the Ultimate Fighter three run, and before that, he was a highly touted prospect. I mean, he burst onto the scene in two thousand four, and just he went ten and zero between two thousand four and two thousand five. Got the Ultimate Fighter thing, and to me, as a viewer, now keep in mind, I didn't get into MMA media until two thousand ten. That first half dozen years in the UFC, I looked at him as the villain. Yeah. Just the villain. He went to a split decision with a prime Rashad Evans at light heavyweight, which says a lot about him. But before that, I really saw him as the villain because what happened in his home country, he was gifted a decision over a deaf man that he shouldn't have been given. I was like, man, it doesn't get more heel than that. It doesn't get more heel than that. And then, of course, a couple of years later, he was coaching the Ultimate Fighter and just talking nonstop trash. And it seemed like, at that point, his career was going to be defined by getting knocked out by Dan Henderson. It really looked that way. The turning point to me, and the vicious knockout that Vanderlei Silva gave him. Where it started to turn for me was the Chael Sonnen fight. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of debated who really won that fight. And around that time, it was very clear, several of the people that had been beating him, Dan Henderson, Vanderlei Silva, Chael Sonnen, later, Vitor Belfort, they were on some stuff. Whether it was testosterone replacement therapy, maybe something a little more extreme, even Chris Lieben, who, who Bisping beat, tested positive for stenozolol. And he could never just quite win that number of fights that he needed to get to the title fight, and I and I started to feel for him because he was almost the elder statesman at that point, and he would have really exciting fights. Like he he went to Macau and beat the hell out of Kung Lee, had a great fight there, and then after the Rockhold loss, I was like, all right, this is going to be his final run. He's going to wind it up there. He's going to wind it down. Whenever he loses next, he'll he'll wrap it up. I thought Anderson Silva beat him, quite frankly. I think I think Anderson Silva should have won that fight, but still. He beat Dalloway. He beat a, a very good Leites. Dallas Leites at that point was reinvigorated. He beat Anderson Silva, and he stepped up to the challenge, left a movie set, and knocked out Luke Rockhold when hardly anybody was giving him an opportunity. 
Anybody was giving him a chance. Other than his family. Yes. I didn't think much of him fighting Dan Henderson, but the fight was awesome. The fight was great. I had him winning that fight over Dan Henderson. That's what I'll always remember Bisping about now. I won't remember him for the robbery against Hamill. I won't remember him for getting knocked out by Dan Henderson, as iconic as that may be. It's Dan Henderson's logo. Dan Henderson owes Michael Bisping some royalties for the love of God. Should. And honestly, if the UFC wanted to like create like an MLB silhouette logo, you could make that silhouette of Dan Henderson doing that, <laughs> the logo, and it'd be fine. But I will remember Michael Bisping for a three-fight series, really a four-fight series, that he had at the end of his career with Silva, Rockhold, Henderson, Pierre. You could argue that there were there was no four fights in a row of anybody's career. Maybe Leonard Garcia could squeak in four in a row that were more exciting in continuity than those four. Uh, What he was able to do between 2015 and 2017 was nothing short of incredible, and I have a lot of respect for that guy. And he is a wildly entertaining broadcaster and podcaster, too. Yeah, I wish we'd get more of him up here. We do get a bit of it um, in terms of the broadcasting side. Uh, but yeah, that, that that I mean, I remember that Anderson Silva fight, and I was like, "Damn, Michael won! All right, cool." And then the whole Luke Rockhold thing, I was like, "Yeah, this is not going to turn well for Michael." I, I was I wasn't a detractor. I just didn't like the matchup. I didn't like the way the two styles matched up against each other. And then my goodness, when Michael landed that punch, and I was like. Holy smokes, he's going to have the belt wrapped around his waist. How incredible was that? And then the flack that he took for allowing or for wanting Dan Henderson uh, as his first title defense. Well, why not? He wants to sort of avenge that silhouette of the logo. Um, So, yeah, and he was able to do it, although that was a very close fight. Uh, He was able to do it and then eventually fights George St. Pierre and gets tapped out in the third round after you know something you really fell in love with was the fact that Bisping showcased what you can do with elbows in the guard right I so there's it. It's changed he's changed a lot of the guys in the live chat right now are talking about uh when he spit in uh Rivera's corner uh cementing himself as a heel yeah <laughs> so I'm telling you man Michael doesn't care about anyone's opinion I don't, and I don't mean that uh in the media or talking about opponents I've been with Michael Bisping and, and some of our mutual friends where I'm like, this guy is going to lose his marble soon. we got to get out of here. Uh, he's fearless, man. He's he's a legit, uh, not a thug, but a Brit with a heart, man. He wears his heart in his sleeve, and he will, he's ready to rumble whenever, however. So uh, lots of love for Michael Bisping. And he has a plan for post-fighting. I mean, of course he could coach if he wanted to, but he doesn't need to. He's he's acting. I saw him in Den of Thieves a couple weeks ago. A really fun movie. I, I like that one. That movie made a ton of money. Uh, although you know he it was more of a cameo. He was in the Triple X film, which did outstanding numbers. He's in Twin Peaks, which was a very popular show. He appeared on I think Strike Back. So he was he's been in a lot of different stuff. Um, also, podcasting, broadcasting that goes a long way for him too with the personality that he has. We are about to talk UFC Utica. This has been our longest show in a long time. We used to go 90 minutes every week. Yep. We haven't had that many topics, and some of our shows over the next month won't necessarily have that many. Next week's definitely will. We're going to hear from Colby Covington, and you're getting four pros picks on that show. But before we make our picks, 
Let's hear what the pros think. Uh, Marlon, Marlon for sure. I mean, he's Mar Marlon's like a, a different breed at, at 35. So, uh, kid's explosive. Jimmy is, is, is you know, he, he's one of those. He's just kind of like a hard nosed, like blue collar type guy. I, I feel like. So I, I gotta go with the the more athletic. I, I gotta go with uh, Marlon. I think that I think that Marlon is like the nastiest the nastiest guy I've seen at that weight, and uh, I would love to see him go out and get another knockout. I, I think that's what's going to happen for sure. I think Marias has a little bit more of devastating skills. I think Rivera's a smart fighter, and it's a very even fight. It's like they're both really well-rounded. I just think Marias has that finishing ability on a higher level than Rivera does. You know, he's got, like, more power in his kicks and his knees, his Muay Thai. But uh, it's it's hard to pick that fight. But I would go with Mariah's. I think he's gonna get the job done, whether it's a TKO or a decision. Uh, it's gonna be a fun fight. Uh, I think Marlon's gonna win there, though. I think Marlon's just better, uh, a little better everywhere. That's the tough one. That that's one I don't know. Uh, that I don't feel like I would. Jimmy Rivera has a hard. He has a hard power, and Marlon. I think. I mean, Marlon Mariah's is really good, and he's coming off a few quick victories. Against Aljamain Sterling, too, which is really good. But I just don't see him being able to take that right hand. Man, um, I watched Jimmy Rivera, and Jimmy Rivera is a beast. Um, I've trained with Marlon Monrace at uh, American Top Team, and Marlon's an animal on the feet. Um, I think that Jimmy might take him down. I mean, Marlon's wrestling has gotten better, don't get me wrong, but Jimmy's wrestling is way better, and his stand-up is just as good. So, um I'm going to go with Jimmy Rivera. That's another close one. You know, um, look, looking like watching, watching Marlon in the last couple of fights, you know, that, you know, he lost that split against um, uh, the Sun, so sorry, yeah, yeah. So, um, that's, um, I'm watching that fight, I'm watching Jimmy Rivera's kind of size, he's very similar to a Sun, so, um, and he comes to fight, you know what I mean? I know, I know that's easy to say, but he does. Every, I've never seen Jimmy Rivera in a boring fight. I never have. You know, he's either dropping someone or someone's dropping him. You know, he's always been that guy. And, um, you know, he is that. And I think, look, at the end of the day, this is all competition for me as well. You know, I can't look past that, you know. But he's a guy that, in my opinion, deserves that next shot for the, for, for wherever he wants. Uh, I see it being a decision for, for, for Rivera. I hope he gets that title shot. I really do, you know. For the time being. Because, obviously, I want, I want to get that belt as well, you know what I mean? But, um. He's a guy that I watch a lot of, and I do like the guy, you know, he comes to fight, and I was absolutely devastated he didn't get that chance to fight Dominic Cruz. Um, but, like, you know, they, they tried to put him on the Boston card as well. That didn't work out for him, but now he's got his match against Maurice. Um But, like I said, it was... Um, I, I, I hope he does fight. Uh, I hope he does fight Maurice now. And fought, this is a good fight. You know, there's a lot of beef there. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of, like, uh, animosity. Because they, they're from roughly the same area, yeah? You know, I know... I know. Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a, a battle of uh, battle of New York there, isn't it? So, um, no, I, I'm going to go with Rivera. I am decision. And, um, but, you know, there's all the chance in the world that he could get tagged, you know, of course. But that's my opinion. So, Marlon Marais looks like a... Like, just the, the shape of his head, the, uh, like, how thick, and, and, you know, he just looks like a, like a tough dude to finish in, in any regards, and Jimmy isn't that much of a, a finisher either. Uh, I think Marlon can actually get this one. 
he's a I don't know, he's just a little he's explosive and he's got tricky chokes. I, I think I would go Marlon on that one. Jimmy Rivera is a is a bad dude. He's he's been around like he's fought he's fought all the tough dudes. He was just supposed to fight Dominic, wasn't he? But Dominic got hurt, right? He broke his arm. Um, uh, but more more how you say his name? Marias? Marias, that like that dude's a beast. He's like a little he's just like to me he looks like a little like honey badger, you know what I mean? He's just got power, so I mean, I don't want to go against Rivera, but I kind of think Moraes is going to win this one, man. I think, uh, I think he's just he's just too much on fire right now, and, and he's kind of on that streak, and he's he's going to be a really hard dude to deal with. But I mean, Jimmy Rivera is a bad dude, but I, I'm going to go with Moraes on this one. I wish uh, Brett Johns would have talked a little bit, and you know, Vince Pichel should do the thing where he doesn't wear a shirt. That's that's just does he ever? He's on this show, by the way. He's the co-main event. Yes. Shirtless, talking about the main event. What is it with these guys and their no shirts? I don't get it. He's won four in a row. We'll go ahead and talk about that fight. He's won four in a row. His only loss in the UFC was to Rustem Habilov in 2012, and he takes just years off at a time. He has, he's been in the UFC for six years, and this will be his sixth fight against a Gregor Gillespie, who is a known finisher, shows up to choke you out or knock you out. I think Pinchel's going to have to go back to his 2009 to 2011 type of behavior where he looks to do the same thing. Also, a noted second-round finisher. That's just something that Pinchel also did. He finished a lot in the second round, which I thought was kind of interesting. But I've got to go with... Gillespie here. Sorry, Pichel. Yeah, I got Gillespie. What yeah, round are you picking Jared Brooks to beat uh, Shorty Torres in? Uh, I think you're talking to the wrong co-host. Yeah, no, I think I, Torres is winning that. But I, I, listen, it's it's not going to be easy for Shorty to make that weight. That's that's rule number one. Correct. Okay. Uh, and then when he makes weight, he's then got to chill out for a bit and forget the fact that he's making his UFC debut. Thankfully, it's it's. I, I hate saying this, but thankfully, uh, it's on UFC Fight Pass. It's the first bout of the evening, and that place will not be. Well, it might be insane because it's it's you know anytime you have these shows in these smaller cities, fans show up there right when the doors open, and it's not like in Vegas where you know it's dead until the main card. So, for for Torres, obviously, you know there's going to be complete and utter bias in my opinion, seeing as I've called every one of his fight or been every one of his fights and called uh, almost all of his championship fights. So as long as he realizes it doesn't matter that he's in the UFC, that he strictly has to fight Jared Brooks, just do your job. Do your job and you'll be fine. There's a lot of really interesting fights on this show. Torres versus Brooks. I'm picking Torres to win. Is there something about Torres's game that like maybe people who haven't watched Titan wouldn't expect? I mean, obviously there will be a lot about the game they wouldn't expect if they haven't watched Titan, but... What is it that he does well, or is he just that well-rounded of a fighter for his age or experience level? He, he likes to get. He, he starts off by getting punched in the face. <laughs> like <laughs> he's like he realizes, oh yeah, head movement is allowed in this sport. After he gets tagged, and he's like, okay, and then he just switches gears and he goes. He has no quit in him. He will. He will. He could get dominated for 14 minutes. He'll figure out a way to win in the 15th minute. <laughs> 
That's just how he is. And if he's dominant, if he's too fast for his opponent, um, he, he, he'll usually start putting on the finish around three minutes or four minutes uh, into the opening round. He doesn't take a lot of risks. Um, he has no problem exchanging punches. He's got a chin of steel. Uh, knock on wood, it stays that way. Uh, he, I don't like saying that about young fighters because eventually it catches up to you. But uh, his striking is just unbelievable. His wrestling is fantastic. His getting up from being taken down ability is second to none. Uh, people are going to be in hopefully for a treat, man. But this is yeah, this is the first fight. This is the first fight on the show. It might be as far as level of talent, it's probably in the top three or four in my estimation. Jared Brooks should be 14-0 and 0 right now. I yeah. didn't think that he lost. I, I know the majority of media, the majority of fans had him winning that fight in Brazil in October. So this is a high-level fight. This is a guy who should be 14-0 and 0 against a double champion who has belonged in the UFC. I thought it was very interesting that Torres was told that they weren't interested in signing any other flyweights. That that's why you get people who don't have any wins almost ready to be ranked in the division yeah also johnny eduardo against nathan wood now i don't know a lot about nathaniel wood i know he's 13 and 3 i know he's been around the block he's out of england i believe um fought a lot in cage warriors finishes but johnny eduardo man he's he's 37 he'll be 38 this year i remember when he got that that big win over Eddie Wineland in Eddie Wineland, Cincinnati. Yeah. That was four years ago. He's only fought three times since. The guy never fights. He has never fought more than one time in a year in the UFC, ever. Uh, I get the feeling that Nathan Wood is going to be a little too much for him to overcome here. After that Matt Lopez TKO, he's taken another year off. I don't know if yeah. it's going to be good for Johnny Eduardo. The problem is, is he's 37. He started his UFC career in his prime, 30 years old. Yeah. Right? He's only fought six times. So and the he, MMA mileage... He fought in, in the interim there. Yeah. So the MMA mileage might not be there, but the injuries have been there. Um, this was a guy... I remember when he fought Rafael Hasunzao at UFC 134. Uh, I thought, man, people need to be really paying close attention to him because I watched his, the shooter fight before that. Um, and then we saw what happened with Jeff Kern and Eddie Wineland. I was like, damn... This guy's good, man. He just needs a bit more of a break. He needs to be a bit more consistent. Uh, you know, that was his second or that was his third fight in three years, I think, at the time. And then he met Aljamain Sterling, got his neck almost ripped off. But uh, I, I, Eduardo now at 37, it's going to start catching up to him. And Nathaniel has a good chance here to prove a lot of people wrong. So uh, it's a very interesting fight, in my opinion. Worth noting that the graphic on the uh, Bilal Muhammad interview earlier, a little outdated, a few days ago, uh, Nico Price was removed from that fight, and now Bilal Muhammad will have a chance for encounter. <laughs> nice, very nice. I'm sure I'm the first person to ever make that joke. I have no other analysis to provide. Zero. Zero. I, I Zero. do have analysis to provide with Jody Escobel and... Jessica Aguilar. Jessica Aguilar just, man, like four, three years ago, a lot of people thought she was the best fighter in the world as far as female fighters went. A lot of people really bought that. She came in, she got beat by Claudia Gedalia, and then she was forced out of the cage for a long time, came back, got beat by Courtney Casey, and then took another year off. That's rough. 
she's like uh, one of those pioneers that was, you know, ahead of her time. You know, so many we can go. There's a, a massive laundry list of people that competed in mixed martial arts long before their divisions got to the UFC or got some mainstream. And Jessica's one of them. Um, and, and she operates at a different frequency. And I'm telling you that at a, at a personal knowledge because I have done uh, a bunch of stuff uh, with her and the team in Florida, uh, especially for Titan shows. And she operates in a different frequency. Big time sweetheart, badass fighter, but she can have her hands full of Nudica, that's for sure. Aguilar, man, 36 years old. It's crazy for me to think. I mean, she was 31, 32 when she was finishing up with World Series of Fighting, I think, and you, you still thought there was some potential there. She has to win this fight. She cannot lose to Jody Escabel. Jody Escabel's off two of three. If she loses to her, I I think that's it. In, well, man, probably not it in the UFC if she wants to keep fighting. They don't have any fighters. Desmond Green versus Glayson T-Bout. That is going to be a fun fight, I would expect, unless we get T-Bout kind of trying to wrestle and lay on him. I mean, sometimes Dude, that's a fight that they should have saved for a Florida show. They should have. Right? They really should have. Quote-unquote old-school Black Zillions against uh, ATT. Like, that is huge. If T-Bout loses, now keep in mind, he he only turns 35 this year, which is crazy to think, but... It would be his fourth straight loss if you include the Trujillo DQ after it was got it, it went it got overturned. He is coming off of a USADA suspension, sort of. He fought and lost in about a minute in January. Is this it for him if he loses? <sighs> been around this, since '06 yeah, in the UFC. Yeah, it's four straight losses if he loses, right? So I mean, to keep in mind, he's been around so long that he was able to fight elsewhere while fighting for the UFC, even though he was winning fights. Like, these days, if you beat a guy in the UFC, you're under contract to them. He beat yeah. Jason Dent, and then, like, two months later went and fought in in Brazil somewhere. It doesn't happen a lot these days. Yeah, but both these guys are at risk, man. Like, if Desmond loses, that's his third loss in a row. So, both these guys are, are potentially fighting for their job, so... Got to be very, very careful here. I, I, I'm going to go with, with Desmond Green, but he has to pick up the pace. He cannot, under any circumstances, fight tentatively. Uh, just do what you got to do. If possible, get you know Tibau's back and go for that choke. Get dominant control on the ground. Use your wrestling. Uh, and, and for, for Tibau, just put the pressure on Desmond. You know, Punch his mouthpiece into his mouth. That's it. Just go. David Teamer and Nick Lentz is a good fight. Uh, I'm, I'm picking, oh, hell yeah. I'm picking uh, Teamer to win, but shout out to a few years ago when people thought Nick Lentz was the one to derail Conor McGregor. <laughs> you would hear that all the time. Ah, oh, Nick Lentz. That's that's the one. Okay. All right, then. Uh, Sajara Eubanks against Lauren Murphy. Completely under the radar top three fight in a division. Yeah. Because Absolutely. the fight bear the, the division barely exists, but Eubanks ranked number two. Murphy ranked number three, but Eubanks has to make weight or else she will be forced up to Bantamweight, I think. Yeah, that that's again, fight the fight before the fight, right? The battle before the war for a lot of these fighters. Uh which brings me to another topic one day I'd love to discuss on the podcast, which is the uh the water based testing. But um, for now, Eubanks, you know, she, she's taking on a veteran in Murphy. It's going to be a situation where, A, make that weight, and then, B, put on a show to, to, to silence a lot of critics. John Vellante and Sam Alvey. Uh, Alvey is, I hope he stays at light heavyweight, for better or for worse. Probably better for his body. 
But John Vellante trying to hold on to that top 15 spot, which I think that I think that Jordan Johnson should be in there instead of him. But with a win, that really does keep him there. But it's he he was at least he, when he was inconsistent and he was on, he was at least knocking some people out. So I'm sure that he wants to return to that that uh, method. And I think Sam Alvey will give him the opportunity to do that. And I'm picking John Vellante to win this. Uh, I don't count out Sam Alvey for nothing. Oh, I don't either. I think Volante should use his wrestling uh, against Sam, but you know you've seen the size of Sam's legs and his hips and how low uh, he's able to just press down onto the canvas. So we'll see what happens here. I, I, I'd like to see Sam Alvey pull off the victory here. No, nothing against John Volante, but uh, I just like smiling Sam. Right, great guy. Also on this show, Jake Ellenberger, Ben Saunders. My question is, which will die of natural causes first? Jesus. Why? 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 It's why, is, why is Jake Ellenberger fighting? He yeah, is 2-8 and eight in his last 10. Why? why? We'll, see what Jason this... Pri- yeah, we'll see what Jason Prillo does with his hands uh, leading up to this fight. Be interesting. I'm just like... Ah, man. Juggernaut was one of my favorite fighters to watch back in the day because he would just bury his chin, lift his shoulders up, and just try and knock people's head off into the second row. And then he went with your buddy over in uh, California there. Uh, Yeah. God, (laughs) that guy, the career ruiner. Um, Yeah, we'll see what what, what Jason Perillo's done with Jake Ellenberger's hands. It should be interesting. Ben Saunders... There's also a low-level heavyweight fight. Walt Harris, Daniel Spitz on the show. Yeah. Whatever. But Jimmy Rivera, Marlon Marias. Jimmy Rivera definitely wanted this fight more than Marlon Marias did. But I think the winner gets a title shot and should get a title shot. Marlon Marias right now should be riding a win streak that extends back to 2011. I thought he beat a Sun Sal. And yeah. Rivera has been unstoppable. His one loss was a questionable loss to Jason McClain in 2008. He did get finished by Dennis Fabrinez on The Ultimate Fighter. But other than that, man, he's been great. I expect this to go the distance, and I'm ready for it. I just hope it's more exciting than Saturday's fight. I think Rivera takes this, but, man, it's not going to be easy. I I this is I don't want to see Bantamweights go, going five rounds ever. Because they throw with such fury, such pace, uh, the numbers of the number of significant strikes are going to be through the roof. And these two guys have no love for each other, and they have one job, and that is to crush the jaw of, the, of their opponent. To go five rounds, Sean, would be scary for both of these guys. I mean, this is a career-defining fight, in my opinion. But um, you've got Jimmy, I've got Marlon. I'm going to go with Marlon this fight here. Either way, I think it's going to be. I can't see it being boring at all. Like, maybe in the first 30 seconds, if they decide to kind of feel each other out, check out the distance, uh, do the old Elias Theodoro thing. But other than that, bombs are going to be flying. I can see almost any fight being boring, but we'll see how that all pans out. Of course, we'll have live coverage right after the show, or live podcast right after the show. Also, live coverage that night. Stop by, make your predictions. All kinds of content leading up to that show. This is our first 90-minute show we've done in months 90 plus minutes, hot dog. Ole Sammy Ole is always like, oh, more than an hour this time. Cool. What are you, our wives? Come on. <laughs> Stop worrying about our stamina. 
You can follow Joe at Showdown Joe. You can follow me at Sean Rossap. Check out FightfulSelect.com. We have all kinds of great content over there. Till next time, guys, we are out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.